You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. I am, I am so excited to be here. Yes. I forgot that you were all wearing masks. Sir, you were wearing the one with the smile. It scared me for a minute. I'm like, what is that in our audience? <laughs> Man, I am so excited to see you guys. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't know me, Pastor Alex said that I was on staff here for 19 years. If you go on the website and it says, you know, when the church started, there were seven people in the room. I was the seventh one. I was like the, un, the unmarried one. That was the, the, the seventh wheel, third wheel, you know? And if you're online today, I know there's a lot of you guys that aren't here and I, I really wish you were because I love seeing all your faces, but I'm grateful that you're listening online anyway. And uh, man, it, we, we left about a year ago, almost uh, to the, not about a month, one month away on the August 3rd is when we left. And we planted a church in Cape Coral. And so we started our February launch date was the 23rd. I see some faces who joined us for our launch day. We were able to go for three weeks and then we got shut down <laughs> as you did, right? And we were shut down for, I don't know, like six weeks or so and or a little bit more than that. And then we were able to start meeting again on June 7th. And so we've been doing church live and it's a little different there. We don't have to wear masks. Um, the restrictions are a little bit different than here in Miami. So it's been kind of nice, but you know, we did quarantine for a while. And I don't know if you've heard this, but it's kind of been said that you are either right now, having gone through this, uh, you know, these quarantines or this uh, social distancing, you're either in the best shape of your life, right? Because you started exercising to keep yourself busy or you're in the worst shape of your life, right? Because <laughs> you started eating and you had nothing else to do. So let's raise our hands. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> Man, uh, I was, it's so funny because I'm in better shape than I was. When we went to Plants of Church, I just stopped exercising. There was so much to do. So I was getting like a belly and I had a donut. I usually get the donut this way, not this way. And uh, I, I, the guy who was recording my messages, every time I'd go to his house, I kept saying, I need to get in better shape. And he goes, one time he just stopped me and he said, you keep saying that. So when are you going to do it? And I'm like, well, uh, and, and I had, he isn't a Christian. So I challenged him to do the Proverbs challenge that we did. Some of you guys followed along on Instagram with us. And so he goes, listen, if I can read a proverb a day, you can jog one mile a day. And I said, okay. <laughs> so the next day I started running. I literally ran uh, every single day for 30 days. And now I do less. Okay. But here's the deal. Every time I go back every week, I'd go back to do a message and I say, Hey, you know, I, I started running. I ran a mile. And he goes, okay, that's nice, but you got to get it up to like two miles. Come on, look at you. You're not, you're like tall, thin, right? I'm like, okay. So then the next week I'd come back and he'd ask me to, to do even more. And so I got in some really good shape and um, it, it all started back when I was in high school about running. I liked to run. He asked me, what do you like to do? I like, I like to run. And I had a history teacher when I was in junior high. They call it junior high now, middle school, whatever they call it, right? Uh, when you're in seventh grade and uh, sixth grade, sixth grade, yeah. And he said to me, um, seventh grade, sorry, correct that, I think. I don't even know anymore. It was so long ago. But anyway, he said to me, because I was tall and thin, you'd do a great, you'd make a great cross country runner. Will you join the team? And I kept ignoring him and avoiding him because I never ran in my life when I was a kid, but I finally decided to do it one day. Now, cross country, if you're not familiar with it, it's a little different than track. It's just one race 
and it's at your, either your home track or somebody else's, and it's cross-country is what it means. It's a cross-country. So some of the course is over hills, and it's through the woods, and it's over beach or wherever it is or over pavement, and that's what you would do. And so I trained as much as I could for that first time, but because I wasn't an experienced runner, I started running, and then the guy um, I, I, on our first meet, I started running, and I get to about almost a mile from the finish line, and I see one of the guys in front of me. He's been on cross-country before, and I'm starting to catch up to him because he's walking. And so when I got up to him, his name was Bill Allard, I'll never forget, and I said, Bill, why are you walking? And he goes, it's cross-country. You do it at your own pace. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, you can just walk if you want. And I don't know what I was thinking in that moment, but I'm like, sounds good to me, <laughs> right? So I started walking and we're just chatting for a while. And then he starts running, he takes off and it was the course through the woods and I'm still walking. And after a while, I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good now. And I'm thinking maybe I should start running again. So I started running and I got to the end of the finish line by the time I was done. And I was like, man, this doesn't feel right. I still have lots of energy left over. I really wish I had done a little bit better job. I mean, I, I just wish I had a little bit more. You know, when you're in a competition like that, when you're in a competition run, you're supposed to do the best you can, right? And so when I got to the end, I just felt like I kind of robbed myself. I kind of cheated. I mean, I could have got a better time. Maybe I could have beaten some of the other people on the other team, or, or maybe I could have placed a little bit higher up in the rankings. You know, the strategy for a race like that, when you're in any time of running road race like that, the strategy is to get it running in a pace such that you have nothing left, right? You got enough to cross the finish line, but nothing left over. You're supposed to be exhausted. So you're like, you're supposed to be going really fast. You get to the end, you're supposed to give it everything. When you cross that finish line, I mean, you practically die when you fall over. And I definitely did not accomplish that that day. And that's why it felt so weird. I mean, we've probably all fallen a little short in life when it comes to something or another. Maybe we didn't try quite as hard as we wanted to do, or we stopped at doing something because it got to be a little bit more tough or tougher than we thought we actually was going to be. So we kind of gave up or we stopped halfway through because we didn't realize how much something was going to cost us. You ever been in one of those projects, right? You started off, but then it's like, oh man, it keeps asking for more money. I'm just going to quit. Or maybe it just, we didn't want to give the effort. And there are a lot of things that can kind of dissuade us at times from accomplishing things in life. But when you give up, when you give up on something, you have to understand that you also give up on that opportunity, whatever it was. And we miss out on what could have been. My wife, a lot of you know Carolina, my wife, and she has a friend, or it was a friend of the family, who, was, who writes for the Dolphin Digest, okay? Even though they're not playing, there's, Dolphin Digest still exists. And he writes for them, and uh, he also used to come to the church. Uh, and so she, he would be at all the parties that my wife's family was at. He would come to church, so I got to know him very well. And he would get free tickets to Dolphin Games, right? And so there, now this is kind of interesting, but my head is always putting things together. And I thought when Super Bowl 2010 came around, you know, it was here in, in Miami, right? I think it was the, the New Orleans Saints against the Indianapolis Colts. Colts, Colts, I said, but that was, it's not a cult, Colts. And so they had, that's where, who was going to play. But I thought even though the Dolphins are playing, I mean, it's their stadium. And I said to him, hey, Bill, are you getting tickets to the Super Bowl? Because you got like a press pass? He goes, as a matter of fact, I am. And I'm thinking, who's dream, right, right? Isn't it your dream to go to a Super Bowl, right? Wouldn't you want to at least once in your lifetime go, I was at a Super Bowl. I saw these guys play. I mean, it's thousands of dollars to get these tickets. And he goes, yeah, I got two tickets. 
And I go, is anyone going with you? I'm trying to be subtle, you know? <laughs> like, is anyone going with you? You know, he's like, well, I'm going to ask my son, but I haven't asked him yet. I'm not sure if he's going. And I'm like, well, listen, Bill, okay? If you don't have anyone else to go with you, you call me, okay? Call me. I live three miles from the stadium. I'll run over there. I'll walk over there. I'll do whatever it takes to get there. If you don't have anybody to go on game day, you call me and I'll be there. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to go with my son, I think. So anyway, the game goes by, passes. I don't hear from Bill. After the Super Bowl, I see him again, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, did he go with his son or not? Like, if he didn't, I'm going to be upset. So I'm thinking, I ask him, and I see him, and I go, Bill, did, so how was the Super Bowl? I didn't want to ask him right out, so I'm like, how's the Super Bowl? Oh, it was great. It was awesome. And, and, and what were your passes like? He's like, well, man, we were in the press box. There was free food. The, the view was amazing. We're seeing all this stuff. And I'm going, that was awesome. How did your son like it? He goes, well, my son didn't go. He couldn't make it. I'm like, oh, so who did you take? Oh, nobody. And I'm like, that I'm inside. I couldn't, I, didn't, I couldn't blow up on him. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. This is what's going on in my head. You're kidding me. I could have gone to the Super Bowl. It was not going to be that easy. A phone call was all it would have taken. Sometimes when we miss out on an opportunity, right? We look at those opportunities and go, that was my closest shot probably in my life to go into a Super Bowl and I missed it. See, missed opportunity leaves us wondering what could have been. I mean, I could have been hanging out, meeting people on the team. I could have been eating great food. I could have had this awesome time. You know, I, maybe we think if I could have done something different, maybe I could have changed that situation. Could, could the relationship that I was in, if I maybe tried harder, would it have turned out a little bit differently? Where, where would I be right now if I hadn't quit? You know, the bigger the opportunity that we miss out on, the bigger the regret, isn't it? Like, I'll never forget this Super Bowl thing. That'll go down in my mind forever going, I could have been every Super Bowl. I'm thinking I could have been at a Super Bowl. But maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. What if we could make the most of our opportunities that we've been given? What if even better, we could somehow partner with God in those moments and so we could limit those regrets in our life and then we could live our life on point and fulfilling a purpose and feel like, man, this is really working. And so today we're going to check out this little Bible story, uh, and, and it's so easy to miss. It takes place in, in the book of Kings, 2 Kings. It's the history of the kings is being related here. And it's actually, Elisha was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. It's, it's a story that he's in. In fact, he's on his deathbed, and it's his last scene. Well, there's kind of one other scene, but he's dead when it happens. But in this scene, he's on his last, he's, on his, he's in his deathbed, and this king comes to visit him, and his name is King Joash. He's the king of Israel, and they're being attacked by the Syrians. And so he doesn't go to honor the prophet, but he goes there because he wants to find out, because it was customary to go to a prophet to see if you would win, if you would win the war, or to see if you could get the hand of God's blessing on your life. And so that's where he goes, and he shows up there. And this is where we're going to pick up the story, and it's in your outline. We're also going to have it up on the screen here. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And so he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from, the, from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. 
And then he said, take the arrows. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And so he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. And then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. That was the weirdest story, right? <laughs> like, no wonder I missed it. It's just kind of strange. He shows up there and, and he's trying to get this blessing. He's trying to see if they're gonna, you know, if they're gonna win. And he says, take your bow and arrow and hold it in your hand. And then Elisha puts his hands on top of it. And that was symbolic that God is gonna be with you. God is actually gonna help you win. And so they shoot the arrow together. And then he says, now strike the ground. Three, and, and Joash strikes the ground. He just, I'm not gonna, uh, that'll hurt that thing. He just strikes the ground three times and then the prophet gets mad at him. What are you doing? You should have struck it six or seven times. I mean, I, I don't know if I knew what was going on there for a minute, but you get the sense that when it's Joash's turn to strike the ground, he's kind of like lacks a bit of passion, right? He's kind of like, okay, one, two, three. Is that good enough? You know, it's like, what? Is, I don't know what he was thinking right there, but it feels a little half-hearted. And, and it, but imagine for a minute if one of your loved ones lost consciousness in front of you. I mean, and you thought you need to administer CPR. You would jump on that person, right? And you would be pumping away, breathing like crazy, and you would not give up, right? Because it's like a life or death situation. And that's what he needed to have, that type of passion in that moment. You know, maybe Joash was thinking, you already showed me that God's going to win, so maybe I just, you know, just, okay, he's giving me the victory. I'll just take it easy. I mean, he seems to lack the urgency, and instead he seems to have kind of what I call a someday mentality. And, and so I'd like you to fill out in your notes, if you're taking notes, this one point is, is important. If you're always thinking someday, someday never comes. If you're always thinking someday, someday never comes. Let me explain what I mean. Last summer when we did move, we had to pack up our house, and I had that house. I lived in it for like 17 years. My wife and I got married. We were there for like 10 years in that house. And so as we're packing things away, we would open up cupboards, we would pull out drawers, and we would find stuff that we had totally forgotten we had put away, right? If you ever do that, you're like, man, I didn't even realize I had saved this. And then the stuff you collected, you collect this stuff with hopes that you're going to use it someday, right? We go, and man, and there it is. And nothing will reveal this more than when you're moving. And that's when you discover all that stuff. And, and if you have to use it in a year, kind of, maybe it's not worth keeping, right? You ever Marie Kondo your house? Maybe it's a little old reference, right? If it doesn't spark joy, just get rid of it. And I'm one of those people who tends to keep things because I'm the same person. I'm like, someday I'm going to need this. I don't know when, but I'm going to need this weird thing. You know, sometimes... Uh, our save, we sometimes save our saved opportunity for a, another time, for a later date. It's what I love about my kids. We give them a sticker book. I used to get sticker books when I was a kid, and I don't know why I would never use the stickers. Oh, I'm going to save this. I'm going to use it for some other time. I love watching them sticker everything. They'll sticker the pulpit. They'll sticker you. Here, Daddy, put this on your forehead. And I'm like, great, use it now. Use it. Because sometimes saved stuff never gets used. The right occasion never comes up, and we keep saving it for something that never happens. I used to love to watch the, the TV show, The Apprentice, if you've ever seen that before. And, and The Apprentice was a reality show in which there were a bunch of people and they divided them into teams. And usually they were businessmen and women or eventually it was celebrities. And, and they would divide them into two teams and then they would compete against each other and they had to do some type of project. And they would elect, each team would elect themselves a project manager and then they would go out, do the project and see whoever would win. If you didn't win, 
then your project manager and whoever he wanted to call in on his team got into the boardroom. And I don't know what you think about President Trump or not, but he would either decide which one, per he would decide which person was going to be fired, right? You're fired. Remember that? Okay. One of the episodes I'm watching, there's this woman. Her name is Tiffany Fallon. She's an ex-Playboy bunny. And she's on the team. And the object of the teams was to have a hot dog stand in New York City and to sell the most, not how many hot dogs you could sell, how much money you could make by selling the hot dogs, okay? So the one team loses, and she's on that team. She goes into the boardroom. She's not the project manager. Usually the project manager lost because it was like their strategy. But if you had somebody who was really lazy or blew something really big, you could bring them in and they would lose. So you're thinking the project manager is going to lose. But she talks to Tiffany Fallon, and Trump looks over and he goes, Tiffany, don't you know Hugh Hefner? And she's like, yeah. Isn't he in Manhattan? Couldn't you just called him down here, do you a favor, and he would have bought a hot dog for $10,000? She's like, well, maybe. And he goes, well, why didn't you do that? He's like, she was like, I was saving it for another time. And then Trump said, so I could use it when I'm a project manager. And he says, well, you're never going to get that opportunity because you're fired. That's right. <laughs> and I learned a valuable lesson that day. <laughs> when we don't use the opportunities that we have, Sometimes we never get the opportunity to use them, just like she didn't. It didn't matter anymore whether she knew Hugh Hefner and could have sold a hot dog for $10,000. It wasn't going to happen anymore. And that's the problem with someday mentality. Someday never comes. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes. It says this, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. If the farmer is looking for the perfect opportunity, the perfect weather where the wind's not blowing too much or it's not raining, he's never going to plant plant because he's never going to find the perfect time to plant or harvest. That's what he's trying to tell us. There's never a perfect time to harvest or to reap. You just do it. And out of faith, you reap. We often want conditions to be perfect before we'll act in our lives. I know that's me and I know it's you. We want the sure thing. We want to know 100% that this thing is going to work out correctly. Just like the farmer, he wants to wait until he get to get started when it's perfect. But there's always going to be an element of risk. It's never going to be 100% in your life. I know there are many people, and I've met many people throughout my history as a pastor that feel like God has called them to do something. And they're still waiting so that they can be sure. You know, maybe they're waiting for something else that they think they need. Maybe they think they need more strength. Maybe they think they need more money. They need more time or they need more knowledge. And they just never get started. If you're waiting for the perfect time, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you're waiting for the perfect time to get married, everyone who's been married here, you know there's no perfect time to be married. If you're waiting as a married couple to have a child, there's never a perfect time to have a child. If you're waiting to find the perfect time to start that new job, to start that new business, to move that family from one place to the other, there's never a perfect time. You step out in faith. Our faith and our plans to step out can be a lot like King Joash, right? He's holding back, but for what? What are we holding back for? The king of Israel meets Elisha. He throws down these arrows. Elisha says, why didn't you throw down more? It's just like this crazy story. And when I first read this story, I don't know if I really understood the significance. I mean, how would Joash know that striking the ground meant that he was striking Syria, right? Did you guys pick up on that in the moment? I mean, I didn't. I'm like, I'm feeling a little bad for this guy. And I'm like, poor guy. Now he's getting you know, yelled at by this prophet. 
You know, because I probably would have done the same thing. I, I don't know if I would have known that this was my opportunity. But maybe, maybe that's the point of the story. We don't always know. So fill this out in your outline, if you will. Step out in faith because you don't know which opportunity will be the one that leads to something great. You don't know which opportunity will be the one that leads to something great. You know, finding our meeting location for the church, our church is called Faith Generation for Faith Generation, was a lot like this. When we first got to Cape Coral, everybody kept asking me because I would meet with pastors over there. I would have people in different areas and, and we, were orga- we were connected with an, a, a church organization, planting organization. And they were like, well, where do you want? Where's your strategy? And I was like, I'm just going to go in the middle because the middle is where people can get to. I know, great strategy, right? And this is, here's a picture of Cape, uh, Cape Coral here. And so the middle, approximately, most of the population is developed right here. All of this is Cape Coral. And uh, it's only 50% developed. There's 200,000 people that live here. But this is kind of like the middle. I figured most of the population can get here and then some from up here would. So this is a great place. And there is a high school right there called Cape Coral High School. So that was my choice. And I'm like, I'm going to go to Cape Coral High School and God's going to open the door and everything's just going to happen. And I went there and they said, no, we don't want to rent to you. We had a bad experience before and we got stuff going on and just no. So I'm like, all right, well, we walked, knocked on, we phone called, we pounded on doors to about a dozen different high schools and, and middle schools and elementary schools all in Cape Coral. And we barely found anything. In four months, we found one that was tucked away into this community way over here and then one that was way up here. And I was just like, these aren't the places that I really want. And it was coming down to the wire. It's the end of December. We don't have a place to meet. And I'm just like, all right, I guess I'm going to meet in one of these other places. And so we would do to promote the church. If you ever wonder how to plan a church, you do like lots of events. You meet people. I joined the Chamber of Commerce. I joined the Rotary Club. Uh, I would just, we would do these festivals that they had and then you get your name out and then you would get their information by giving out free stuff, get their name and then invite them to a next event, which was how you recruit them for the church would be called an interest social. And so Carolina and I, we'd set up, there she is, my beautiful wife, okay? And we would set up this tent and we would do all these festivals. Sometimes it was just like me, her, and my girls and my kids, you know? And like, is this really working? We're thinking, is this actually working? And so we would do that. And then one day uh, we went to the Festival of Lights around Christmas. It was a little before Christmas. And there was a tent that wasn't down far from us. And I was setting up all alone. She was setting up. She saw our tent. And, and I saw that she had a popcorn machine. We'd give out free popcorn. We'd give out free cotton candy. We'd give, do a slime station for kids. And so when I see this, this lady, I walk over there. And she, I see that she has a popcorn machine. And I say, are you selling popcorn? Because if you are, we're giving out free. I won't give it out free so you can make money. And she goes, no, no, we're giving out free too. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And she goes, what are you guys? And I said, well, we're a church. What are you? And she says, we're a school. We're a charter school here in Cape Coral. And she says, what do you, where do you meet? I said, well, we usually we, you try to meet in a school and we're working on that right now. And she said, isn't that a, uh, isn't that a, a conflict with church, the, the, the separation of church and state? And I'm like, well, no, that's kind of a misunderstanding. And she goes, oh, so you can meet at a school? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, would you consider meeting in our school? And I'm like, what's the name of your school? She's like, Heritage Charter Academy. And she had a rickety old little tent. Like, it was like lame, sorry. <laughs> and I'm like... It was falling over. I actually had to help her pick it up. And I'm like, and I'm like I've never heard of this school. I, I look at it. I've been knocking on doors for four months. I've been all over the place. And I didn't say that, but I said, so where's your school? And she goes, well, it's over here in, in this place and uh, on Santa Barbara and whatever. And you, you, you want to come check it out on Monday? And I'm thinking, this school has got to be so tiny because I've not heard of it that there's going to be like, they're going to want us to meet in the classroom. It'll never work. But I'm like, okay. 
So on Monday, I show up. And I'm like, I walk inside, and there's this big cafeteria, and it's like, wow, this could be an awesome lobby. I walk into their gymnasium, I'm like, wow, this could sit like two or 300 people. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's, let's go to the next step. I'll meet with the owners. So then I go, and I meet with the owners, and the owners are like, hey, nice to meet you. So glad that you're here. And I'm like, great. I'm like, uh, so have you thought about it? And I know the principal talked to you about it. And she goes, yeah. She goes, well, you'll be able to use this, the gym, the, the cafeteria. We're going to give you some classrooms if you want to use for your children's ministry. In fact, we're going to give you this classroom where you can store all your equipment. I'm like, you mean I don't have to put it in a trailer and drive it back and forth every week? I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like, okay. And so she's telling me all this stuff. She goes, and I said, well, um, okay. And the conversation is like ending. And I said, well, what do you, what do you, I didn't want to even talk about money, you know, I was like scared to, and I'm like, well, what would you like in compensation? She goes, nothing. I'm like, excuse me? She goes, nothing. If you're here, you're going to bring awareness that our church, that our school is here, so we're just happy to have you here for nothing. You're going to store my equipment all week long, you're going to let us come in here, set up, rule the place, and they gave us keys. Like that only God can do. Only God can do that. If we didn't show up and put our tent up that day, if we didn't, if I said, no, forget it, I've never heard about your place, I'm not going to do it, I stepped out in faith, you don't know which is the opportunity in which God is going to do something amazing. The reason we've made it through COVID and been able to meet is because we don't have to pay eight to $800 to $1,200, depending on what the school is going to charge you. It's somewhere between there if you've got an auditorium and all this stuff every week. I don't even have to think about that or make that decision because God does things that we're not aware of. God had a better plan in mind than I even thought. You know why? Show the second map. The location of the school is that star right there. He knew where we wanted to meet. I'm looking across the street and God's going, Lo John, I got something else for you. And even better, it's free. Listen, God's able to do things that we're not able to do, but we've got to step out. You'll, ne- you'll see only things with your own eyes until you step out in faith, and then you'll see through God's eyes. Listen to what it says here in the book of Hebrews. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You step out in faith, and God is going to reward you. You know, in my lifetime, I've, you know, I've trusted God in many ways, and I'll just say this as a quick thing, but I've never experienced the type of miracles that I've seen until I stepped out and tried to plant a church. God is opening doors that I couldn't believe. I've got so many stories. I was scared I was going to go long. I'm going to go a little bit long, and I'm going to try to keep it short for you guys. I had so many things I wanted to tell you because that's what God is doing. But it was shortly, just before we got this answer, by the way, that the organization that I was working with calls me up and says, you're doing a pretty good job, but you don't have your location yet. And we had raised enough money. We had equipment on the way. But he said, listen, you need 45 people to launch. And we didn't have that number. We were somewhere in the high 20s to 30s. And so they called me up. We had a long conversation. They were just like, yeah, well, um, I don't know if you're going to be able to meet. You see, your, your social interest socials, inviting people back wasn't working. The first one was like 17 people. The next one was like 10, then five, then two. And I'm like, you're supposed to be going in the other direction. And I'm like, okay. And they were basically like saying, sayonara, don't launch. And maybe next fall, but I don't even know. The way it's looking, I don't know if you should launch. Man, that scared me. I was on a high that day, and I'm thinking, what are, you, what are you saying to me? 
But here's what I was seeing. God opens this door with this place. God provided everything we needed. And I saw God's hands of blessing. I said, God wants this church here. That was faith. I don't know if God said that. I didn't, the, war, the, the, the wall, you know, the, the sky didn't part. Okay? I just said, God wants us here because I see it. And then we were under attack. I don't have time for the things that happened that we were under spiritual attack and I knew Satan didn't want us here. And that's all I had to go on. God wants us here, Satan doesn't, we're launching. And that's what made my decision. It's scary sometimes to tip out and take a risk, but I want you to fill this in your outline. I want you to remember this. Fear will never determine whether you are capable or not. Fear will never determine that. But fear will only determine if you'll try or not. You understand that? A lot of times we have fear and we don't know what the other side's going to bring. Pastor Bob did a message when COVID hit. I don't know if you remember this, but he was talking about fear and faith being alike. He said, they're both look to the future, right? Faith is believing that something positive is going to happen, but fear is just the negative of faith. It's trusting that the worst thing is going to happen in the future. That's all it is. Did you know that the lack of faith limited Jesus working in this world? It did. Check this out. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that he's been given, has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not known, is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus didn't do many miracles in Nazareth, his hometown. Because they looked on and they're just like, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't his brothers like, don't I, didn't I have a beer with him the other night? And isn't this just his, his brother and his sisters? I saw them over there the other day hanging out. It wasn't that Jesus lacked the power to do the miracles. It was because the people lacked the faith in Jesus and they didn't bring him anybody to heal. Think about that. He went to other cities and they would bring him so many people, he'd be healing all day. He goes to Nazareth and no one would bring him anybody to heal because they didn't think that he could do it. And that's sometimes where we get trapped. <clears throat> what limited them from seeing God's work was their lack of faith. They lacked the faith to bring him to Jesus. It wasn't some like super thing of, oh, if I just believe enough. Faith isn't about whether we believe enough. It's really less to do with belief. It's not some mysterious power. Faith is actually tangible, not intangible. Listen to what it says in the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite verses. So now faith is the substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith isn't just something that we believe. Faith is a belief that causes us to act. It's a substance. If you continue to read Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through all the things that these great patriarchs did and matriarchs did. And because they did and they acted and God showed up and did amazing miracles in their life because they took a step of faith and they believed and they stepped out. Faith is a substance. It's not a belief. <clears throat> That's what God is calling us to do. So my friend Richard, the guy who, was re who challenged me to run, 
Like I said, I would show up each week and he would challenge me to do more. So he goes, you ran, you ran a mile? Oh, that's good. You should be running a two, mile, two miles. Get it up to two. So a couple weeks later, I'd come back. Oh, I got up to two miles. How fast did you do that? Oh, I did like eight minutes, I said one time. I got, oh, no, I, did, I wasn't doing eight. I was doing like nine or something, 10 minutes in a mile on average. And he goes, okay, well, you need to get down to eight. I'm like, you're kidding me, all right? Eight minute mile average, like running that fast. And so I got it up to like running 3.3 miles and running a 5K four times a week. And he goes, okay, run it, get it to eight. And so I'm like, okay. And then I thought in my head, maybe this is an impossibility. I don't think I can do it, but maybe I can get like seven and a half. And so I keep running and I go faster and I got to seven and a half. And I'm like, I think I can do this. I think I can get under seven minutes in a mile. So I'm running and running and running and I'm trying really hard. Last week I got a seven ten, and then a seven eight, and then I did a seven and a half. And I'm like, this is my average. And so this morning, because I knew I was doing this message, I woke up at 5.30 in the morning I practically killed myself, but check out my watch right here. You see the average pace? 6.58. <clears throat> and you might be saying, sure, John, here, look at you, <laughs> okay? You're tall, you're skinny. We figured you could do that. I'm not gonna stop here, okay? I'm gonna keep going. But if you're thinking that about me, and then I wanna introduce you to my, my sister-in-law, Julie. And uh, let me see, there's a picture of her right here. This was her January 1st of this year. January 1st, don't, don't put up anything else yet. So Julie says, you know what, I'm gonna get in shape. And she joins this fitness thing. She's like, it's like this uh, competition. She's actually gonna get in a bikini after this, right? And show off and do a competition where she's like posing and everything else. And so they have one that's coming up in, in Miami here in the fall, but she wanted to get ready for it. And she's been practicing. And I wanna show you what she looks like. Here's this next comparison shot. That was her two Sundays ago, since the beginning of the year to two Sundays ago. I'm not here to make you feel bad, okay? Like, oh, I wasn't doing any working out. I feel bad. Don't feel bad. The point of the story is not that. The point of these illustrations is this. I didn't think I could do what I did. I don't think any of us looked at Julie and said you could do that. I saw her yesterday or uh, this weekend in Miami and uh, in, in uh, Cape Coral, and I'm like, she's in a bathing suit. I'm like, my goodness, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. It's impossible. I don't think it could even happen. And we hear stories of people that have disabilities that do the impossible. We, have, we see stories of people that have disadvantages in some way, shape, or form, and they overcome these things physically that we just say, my goodness, that was impossible. How did you do it? Here's the point. If physically we can do things that seem impossible, what could God do spiritually in your life when he's helping you? Right? What are the possibilities of what God could do in your life today? What are the possibilities? Listen. If we partner with God, God can do amazing things. In fact, he's looking for people who are ready to say, I'm going to step out in faith. That if you give me what you've got, I'll take and do something amazing. Listen to this verse right here. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's searching. They run to and fro throughout the whole earth. I'm looking. I'm just looking to, those, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal toward him. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to do something amazing. Joash only saw with his own eyes what he could do. But Elisha 
saw what God could do. He saw through God's eyes. And that's why he says, why didn't you strike six or seven times? Because if you had stepped out, you wouldn't have missed an opportunity to do something amazing for the people of Israel and for yourself. What could happen in your life today is the question I want to ask. God is looking for you. We just read it. He's looking for you right now. Whoever you are, if you're watching online today, wherever you're sitting, God is looking for you because he wants to do something great. He's looking for the opportunity to show himself strong on your behalf today. What area of your life do you need to see a victory today? What area is it? You've got to give it to God. Show him you're going to trust him. What battle have you been facing that seems too big? It's nothing for God. It's like shooting an arrow out the window or smashing it on the ground. What is it that you believe God wants to do in your life? Have you been putting it on a back burner, hoping one day it will come? Just kind of waiting for it? What gift or talent or dream or vision have you tucked away somewhere? And you go, God, I know I have this. I just haven't used it yet. Maybe God wants to do something amazing. You know, Julie, she comes and sings. She drives all the way from Miami to sing because she's wanted to sing. And her daughter plays drums. She's 13 years old. And she's amazing. And she's like, look, I got this talent. God, what can you do with it? What thing have you been saying someday to? The lesson of this story is don't hold back. That's the lesson of the story. Now is your time. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this church. I see people that are gathered here who love you, God. People who want to know you more. God, people who want to experience your spirit working through them. Lord, that's what we want. Hear our prayer. God, give us the faith and the strength to not say someday, but to say today. Lord, let us turn over everything we have to you to see what you're going to do. Lord, we don't want to miss out on any opportunity. And God, you've got some great big opportunities for everyone here. Lord, we give you our lives for you to use. Listen, I just asked you guys to remain in an attitude of prayer for a minute because I don't know who's here and I don't know who may have been invited here tonight. But if you want to get on track with God, if you want that life of living in faith, it starts with this act. It starts with accepting Jesus into your heart. And you might say, what does that even mean? Why do we even do that? Listen, the story of Christianity, the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus is this, that we've all blown it before God. And there's nothing we can do to change that. There's nothing we can do to make up for that and make ourselves right before God. And so God himself came down in the form of flesh and he died on a cross, paying for every single sin, every wall, every barrier that stood between you and him. And he moved it out of the way so that you could be with him forever. And when you accept Jesus as your savior, as your forgiveness for sin, he says the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and your life will be changed forever and your eternity will change forever because you'll be with God in heaven. And if that's you today, I'm just gonna ask you to put your hand in the air if you'd like to receive Jesus today. That's you. God bless you in the, morning, in the middle. God bless you guys. If that's you, put your hand in the air. There you go. God bless you guys over here and down front. And so all I'm going to ask you to do, the way you invite Jesus into your heart is you simply pray a prayer. And all I'm going to ask is everybody just say it together. None of us have to pray alone. So just repeat after me. Lord God, 
I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my God, my Savior, and my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. For I've decided today to follow you, Jesus. From this day forever, I'm yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.